Uh, telephone number is 0800 150 811. You can text us here on 8833. So 0800 150 811. Text us here on double eight double three. The lines are open. But no, I just want to get your thoughts quickly. Mm-hmm. The Australians pointing the finger at the <laughs> Indians in regards to ball tampering. That's rich, isn't it? It is. And it's quite ironic and it's quite laughable. It and is. it couldn't happen to a nicer team. Oh, couldn't it? I mean, it's just the way they, uh, you know, they, they play both sides of this one. When it's them, they want everyone to go easy because these people have suffered enough, haven't they? And then when it's their opponents, they're all up in arms. It's, uh, I'll tell you what, it's great as a, a Kiwi fan to be able to watch this whole thing play out. Well, you go back to, though, to South Africa with Sandpaper Gate. That wasn't the first time they did it. That was just the first time they got caught. And they'd been doing it for a long time. You go back. I mean, when you think of the Australian cricket team, you don't think of sportsmanship. You don't think of particularly nice people. You just think of there's just a rogue element in Australian cricket. I mean, you know, legally correct but morally corrupt. And that's always been part of the Australian cricket brand. Isn't Winners, but they don't always win with a lot of grace, do they? Isn't the underarm uh, incident just, you know, we, we sort of think of that as a one-off incident. It's not. It's indicative. It's symptomatic of the way uh, Australian uh, sportsmen behave, isn't it? What what I want to know, for people who haven't seen the story this morning, uh, Indian spinner Jadeja, uh, mm. there's a clip you can see that he wipes uh, some sort of substance off the back of someone else's hand and then is then seen rubbing it into the ball and it's on his spinning finger. Yeah, and they've come out now and said that this, in fact, was just an ointment putting on his spinning finger simply because... His fingers were sore. His fingers um, had been suffering from some sort of uh, damage and there was simply nothing else to it, which, again, I think is laughable. I Mm. I mean, if you're asking me honestly and openly, it's just my opinion. Of course, of course they were ball tampering the Indians. Of course they were. But it doesn't resonate with a lot of people when it's the Australians pointing the finger at India. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think the bigger issue here was the way that the Indians had pretty much doctored the pitch to try and negate all the left-handers the Australians had in their batting lineup, There was a lot at stake here in terms of being one of those top two teams to end up playing in that Test World Championship set to go in June. What well, did if, you... Yeah. Sorry, if you had to guess, what do you think uh, was the substance that that he had on there. I mean, I don't, we're not buying the deep heat excuse, are we? It certainly wasn't. Well, in baseball, they use things like tar, don't they? And just anything that's going to... Well, I'd imagine as a spinner, you're wanting something that's clearly going to grip. Grip, yeah. So something that's going to allow you to grip it, but something that's possibly going to grab the pitch as well. Um, and I'd imagine it's very different for a spinner than what you'd put on for a fast bowler, which is more about movement. Therefore, you just want something that's going to be slippery and shiny. Look, my experiences of having been to India, and I was there in the Commonwealth Games, is that this is a country where corruption is just rife. It's a part of everyday life. I think the th- on three occasions at the Commonwealth Games, I think I was ripped off. And I went in there, not naive, I went in there with my eyes wide open, only still to realise that I'd still been ripped off. Now, that's just part of it over there. The thing what India have got, a little bit like the IOC, a little bit like FIFA is, they pretty much own the game financially, don't they? You do not want to upset the Indians. Every country wants to stay on the right side of the Indians. That's where most of the money in the game is generated from. So it'll be interesting to see what action is taken, whether this is swept under the carpet, whether in fact there is an investigation, and whether or not the allegations made by the Australian media and those on social media, if there is in fact any merit to those accusations. 
0800-150811. Love to get your thoughts if you have seen this. What do you make of it? Any sympathy for the Australians? The, um, as you mentioned, the Quick uh, uh, Info is owned by an Indian company, I believe. Uh, if you scroll through, there is no mention of this incident at all on Crick Info, which you would mm. presume to be uh, cricket's number one source of information. Uh, but the story that they do have on the India vs Australia test is the underappreciated genius of Ravindra Jadeja. Of course, the underappreciated genius. Yeah, look, if it if it walks like a duck, sounds like a duck, looks like a duck, it's a duck. And you've only got to watch the imagery here. If you want ointment on your fingers, you get a team doctor out and you put the ointment on your fingers. Uh, Look, see, I even look at Indian cricket, and this is what irks me a little bit. Even the IPL, to me, that whole thing just reeks of money laundering. That whole thing has just been set up because people are making a hell of a lot more money out of what they're actually investing in it. But again, very hard to prove. Very hard to go behind the scenes. The ICC don't want to know anything about it. Players are happy to turn a blind eye to it because any time money is involved, it's funny how we're happy to turn a blind eye. There's no virtue signalling and all of our sort of morals suddenly just get pushed to one side. You know, it's a little bit like what we've seen at the moment with FIFA and Saudi Arabia Tourism wanting to come in and sponsor a women's race where a lot of a women's World Cup um, in a country where women don't have a lot of rights, in a country where if you are openly gay, you're basically jailed. And let's be honest, there are a lot of women in football who are openly gay. And so there is absolutely no synergy here between Saudi Arabia tourism and what's in the best interest of the tournament. But it's amazing how FIFA has suddenly remained pretty quiet. New Zealand football, yeah, they've signed a letter of concern alongside of Australian football, but no one's really coming out and taking a stance on it. Why? Because it's about the money. I find it funny in that situation that our government comes out and sort of says to New Zealand football, oh, look here, we we really encourage you to, yeah, not accept the sponsorship. Meanwhile... On the other hand, we're more than happy to export th- export things to Saudi Arabia, aren't we? In fact, Saudi Arabia, our 24th biggest export partner. And so there's always a lot of hypocrisy. But the moment money gets involved, it's funny how, yeah, we tend to sort of find some way to justify the moral corruption. Can I ask you something? Uh, I don't, this isn't necessarily a personal question, but I know you're big into your uh, your running. You're a bit of a, an, an endurance athlete yourself. Have you ever taken part in the Coast to Coast? That's kicking off uh, pretty much as we speak. No, I haven't. No, I haven't done the Coast to Coast. I've done Ironman many times, Hawaii Ironman, and Ironman's in Brazil and Japan and various countries. But no, I haven't done the Coast to Coast. And um, But one guy who has, and we're going to get him on after one o'clock, is Gordon Walker. Now, Gordon Walker, he's been, I think, three or four-time... Coach of the Year at the Halberg Awards because he coaches Lisa Carrington, but a lot of people might not know that Gordon's actually won the Coast to Coast on three occasions. So we're going to get Gordy on. Used to do a lot of training with Gordon back in the day. So we're going to get Gordon on after 10 past one just to sort of find out what the athletes will be feeling today that are doing the longest day tomorrow. The two-day event has already started, and that tends to be an opportunity maybe for athletes to just experience the event with the long-term plan of doing the longest day. And so we'll have a chat to Gordon Walker on that. Uh, we'll also another big weekend too. New Zealand Road Cycling Nationals up for grabs. New Zealand Cycling in a great place. George Bennett 
looking to try and win his second national road title. Rushley Buchanan, who has won four New Zealand Women's Road Cycling Championships, will try and preview that for us. Uh, we are going to go to Dan Cherney from Code Sports in Australia to get his thoughts on this ball tampering. Is there anything in it? Uh, it'll be interesting to get an Australian perspective on it. Gerard Waitley, one of the great Australian broadcasters, he's actually going to be calling Super Bowl here on SEN, SENZ. And so Gerard Waitley, he is over in Phoenix, Arizona. We will catch up with him. Keen to find out um, the challenges of calling American football when it's not something you do regularly and the way it stop-start nature, what he needs to do in terms of adjusting his commentary style to cater for that stop-start nature. Very different than, say, calling AFL or calling rugby league. We'll also catch up with one of New Zealand's leading middle-distance runners on the women's side, Laura Nagel. We have the... We have... Uh, sorry, we, we have the Porrick Classic in Hamilton uh, tomorrow, part of Athletics New Zealand's summer of events. So plenty of live sport to look forward to. But really, w- what we want now is we want you guys to find the programme and have your say. If you've seen the coverage, do you think India were ball-tampering? Do you have any sympathy for the Australians? I don't have any sympathy for the Australians, but I have sympathy for the integrity of the game. So it needs to be looked at. It needs to be investigated. But it's a little bit laughable that it's the Australians that are making a big deal out of this with their rich history of uh, being, let's say, morally corrupt. Oh eight hundred one five zero eight double one is the number. Oh, look, just the other thing too, before we do take a break, I know that there's been a lot of discussion this week in and around Scott Robertson. Now, Scott Robertson's press conference the other day, he sounded very much like, I've got this job, this all-black job. It's just a simple case of putting pen to paper. New Zealand Rugby have come out and sort of said, we know nothing about it. We haven't said that. Media journalists have pretty much written the same thing that Scott Robertson is the guy and they are going to make an announcement. What is it with New Zealand rugby? Why are they so rudderless at the moment? Why is it that they lack such leadership? I mean, this has been going on for almost a year. Must be an incredibly tough time for Ian Foster. I mean, the reality is they should have got rid of him a year ago. Or not a year ago, six months ago, and they didn't. I don't think we're going to get out of the quarterfinals of the World Cup. And Ian Foster will be much maligned. And they're going to need to make sure they've got people around him. Because at the end of the day, he's a human and he's actually a good guy. Not a great coach, but a good guy. But should not Mark Robertson, the CEO, also fall on a sword? And should the board not be more accountable here? And I do want to look at those members on the board of New Zealand Rugby off for the back of the break, because I want to know what the hell they're doing. Why is it that there doesn't seem, there always seems to be so much indecision. No one seems to be able to make a decision. You know, these boards are full of these people that are experts in their field that come from these big business backgrounds. But are they too scared to put their reputations on the line? Or does this woke environment these days mean that you can't be decisive and you have to consult everybody? You have to do the PowerPoint presentation. The game is in trouble. People are pointing the finger at Ian Foster, but it's a much broader, it's a much bigger issue. As I say, a fish rots from the head down. What changes would you like to see? 
0800 You can text us here on 8833. We are taking your calls. Twenty-one and a half minutes after twelve. Telephone numbers: oh eight hundred one five zero eight double one. You can text us on the Temper Bed Post text machine. Watto, do the two-day competitors get in the way of the one-day competitors on the coast to coast? Not generally. The way they tend to seed it. Um, by the time the top athletes have come off the kayak, uh, most of the two-day competitors are well and truly finished. I fully agree, Watto, with New Zealand Rugby Union. An embarrassment to the New Zealand public and the aura of the all-black legacy. And then someone saying, Scott never mentioned New Zealand rugby in the interview on TV1. No, he didn't. But the journalist asking the question was referencing New Zealand rugby, which he then answered too. Clearly wants the Fiji job leading up to the World Cup, and I think he's looking for dispensation there. And let's give it to him. We give the players the so-called sabbaticals. Why not give Scott Robertson an opportunity to do a bit of work with Fiji, help the Fijians, if anything, and then have him kick off in his new role as All Black coach in 2024. Uh, Brian, good, ev- uh, good afternoon. Welcome. Hi, Otto. Yeah, good, Look, thanks. Look, you know, I'm beating a dead horse, I know, but to me, it's a simple... It's just the, they can't make decisions, this crowd. If they were in government, they'd be thrown out. They'd call a snap election. The tidal wave of public opinion is against them. Pay the poor guy out. Elect the guy that's going to give us a chance. England and Wales bit the bullet. Right along me, played the coaches out and got on with it in World Cup year. Mm. Why can't we show some bloody leadership, man? Yeah, well, look, I was just talking to Manaya, um, and we were just saying, look, you'd rather get knocked out of the quarterfinals or the semifinals of the Rugby World Cup, at least having tried to change it up, at least trying to do things differently under... Scott Robertson, and I think you could be a bit more forgiving of New Zealand rugby than rather losing under Ian Foster due to indecisiveness when his track record suggested that you know change needed to be made. But look, I just want to highlight this. If you go onto the New Zealand rugby website, you go onto our board, and this is what it says. Our board yes. is charged with setting strategy, direction and policy for New Zealand rugby and is ultimately responsible for the decisions and actions of New Zealand rugby management and staff. Now, you run through it. So you've got the right Honourable Dame Patsy Reddy, right? You've got Bailey Mackey. You go down, Dame Farrah Palmer. You've got Ajit uh, Balazingham. Bart Campbell, <laughs> then you've got Rowena Davenport, Mark Hutton, Wayne Young. You go through all of this stuff and you read their backgrounds and some have got a rugby backgrounds, but they've all got these, been on boards of the Dunedin <laughs> City Council, have been all these big corporates. The problem is yeah. none of them actually want to damage their own reputation. They want to be on the board. They want the prestige. They want the honour. They probably want their head in the trough to a degree, but they don't actually want to be the one that makes the tough decision because they don't want their reputation damaged. I would rather just have straight shooters in there who understand the essence of the game I'm not. I don't care whether the board is 50% women, 50% men. Uh, whether we've got the right racial equity on the board. I'm not into box ticking. I'm not into virtue signalling. I just want the best damn people. And what this should actually be: the mission statement for New Zealand rugby is we are custodians of our game. It is all about the fan. And start remembering the fan. Yeah, I think you know when you've got the involved. Uh, Silver Lake, etc. The corporate influence becomes so great 
and the the the, this un, the underlying dollar for all these people involved is so large, they become paralysed, and they just can't make a decision. But everything you echoes my thoughts. Oh, I know, but you're not actually allowed to say that, Graham, these days. And I wonder if that's part of the problem because you've got this what I describe as a left-leaning media who are just looking to pick people apart because they're not woke and they're not ticking all the boxes and then trying to make a storm out of a, a mole, you know, trying to make a mountain out of a molehill or a storm in a teacup. And the media are very, very good at doing it. And I think everybody is so terrified. Everybody is so terrified now. That is part of the reason why everyone's afraid of Absolutely. making a decision. And, and I'll tell you what, what I, history will, will vindicate what you said. I will guarantee that in years to come, People will look at this woke revolution and sanity and the loss that it caused and the loss of all common sense and say, how the hell did we ever get to that pass? Thank God it's it's with. Yeah, no, well said, Brian. Lovely to have well said, lovely to have you on the program, Brian. Twenty seven and a half minutes, twenty six and a half minutes after twelve, you're listening to SENZ. Telephone numbers oh eight hundred one five oh eight double one. Hi Mikey. Oh, g'day, mate. Hey, um, NZRU, the problem is they're never wrong. And I think that's the issue. I mean, they say there's a sign of good leadership that if you make a mistake, you put your hand up and you say, OK, we got this wrong, let's reset and let's go again. And I really fear for Scott Robinson, to be honest. Um, I think this uh, media thing the other day hasn't helped him. Um, and the NZRU, when, they put their, when their backs are against the wall, they're going to look at that and go, oh, well, he's definitely not our guy. So... Everyone who rings the station and a lot of listeners think the NZRU got it wrong, you know, a couple of years ago. Um, NZRU had an opportunity, two-year contract. They signed, they signed him up early, Fozzie. Um, and I think they've left him hanging in the wind. They've left Scott Robinson hanging in the wind. And uh, I, I fear for his future. I don't think he will be picked, and it worries me. Well, they need to because we've got to have a pathway for our coaches. And one of the big mistakes New Zealand rugby has made is we've placed so much emphasis on trying to keep our marquee players here because we're scared of losing experience that we've neglected our coaches. And the biggest threat to New Zealand rugby is all of our intellectual property hitting offshore. And we've seen that. We've seen oh, that. We've absolutely. seen what Joe Schmidt did with Ireland. We've seen what um, uh, what's his name did with um, did with Scotland. Um, yeah, Karen Karen Crowley. No, Karen Crowley with the Italians. But we've got all of our top coaches oh, yeah. overseas imparting all of our knowledge. You know, there's even this ridiculous talk, Mikey, that beyond 2024, let's go out of our way to re-sign um, Bowden Barrett because he wants to have another sabbatical in Japan. He wants the door left open. Let him go. I don't need a million dollars spent on Bowden Barrett. He's passed his use by date. Spend the money on infrastructure. Spend the money on club rugby. But stop this fascination with the players. Hey, Mikey, love the yeah. passion. Thank you. Brilliant call. All right. 0800-150811 is the number. Hi, Graham. Oh, hi, Matt. What are, how are you? Hi, Matt. Lunchtime. It's great to hear you on, actually. Good. Thank um, you. No, I just, I, just, just on the um, rugby union, I, the other night I said to you something about, oh, Dame Patsy really, you know, um, you know, I think she'll be, even though she's not a rugby person, she might be a great um you know, might do some good, but then I read in the paper this morning and on stuff. You know, she was part of the, she, the part of the, the 100%. Um, you know, vote to to put Foster back in last year. So I retract that statement automatically because I mean that's that's you know that 100% vote for that guy was 100% vote for failure. 
And, you know, you know, I agree with everything the last two callers have well, said and what you're saying. Well, Ray, let, you know, let, just let me read. So, Right Honourable Dame Patsy Reddy, Chair, uh, former Governor-General Dame Patsy, has extensive experience in governance and consulting roles in both the private and public sectors. See, that already sounds wishy-washy. Uh, she has served as a non-executive director of Telecom Corporation, Sky City, Air New Zealand, New Zealand Post and Payments Limited. Dame Patsy also served as chair of the New Zealand Film Commission, deputy chair of Waka Kotahi. Well, we know what a shambles that is, chair of the education <laughs> payroll system. What I don't see in here is time at a grassroots level in rugby. Um, how many test matches has she watched? How long she followed the game? What understanding does she have of the fan, the club rugby player, and people like you, Graham? And I'd say zero, mate, zero. But hey, <laughs> it, it, it reads well on the PowerPoint presentation. Looks good on the prospectus. It's nice to take it overseas. And again, it's a nice little box ticking exercise. But I've got to say, mate, if the board is driving a lot of this and it's chaired by her, if we lose this World Cup, she should resign. She should resign. Oh, absolutely. And Robinson as well. You know, I cut him a lot of slack early on with the you know COVID and etc. You know, it was a bad time. But yeah, no, I, I agree 100%. And you know, Razor, you know, we won't. We all know what he's done at super level, but he started at grassroots um, with Sumner, you know, and they, they were never anywhere, they, they were never a, uh, a senior rugby team until he, he was a play, played for them third grade when he was in the Crusaders. Yeah, but and then he coached Sumner when he came back from overseas. I, and, and, you know, he has been through, and he knows how to connect with people, and they, they're going to listen to his every word, and they're going to try and pull apart what someone says. But some people are looking for an excuse to... Um, to jump on. I mean, well, I, mean I think there's still a big hangover and I still think the old boys network associated with Steve Chu, Steve Hanson, in my opinion, is still in existence. Oh, um, absolutely. And I'll say this, a lot of the issues that rugby's facing at the moment are actually put in place by the previous administration and this organisation is trying to clean the mess up and they don't know how to do it. They don't know how to do it. But everyone's only just looking at the coaching issue. Look at every other issue in rugby. Oh, yeah. I mean, here's yeah. a board that signs off our players being rested and rotated during Super Rugby when there's actually no when there is actually no template and no proof that that actually works. All you're doing is saying to fans, don't bother turning up because all you're watching every week is a development team. Hey, Graham, I've got to move on to news. As always, lovely to chat. Thank you. Right, John, the Velvet Voice, is standing by with the latest in news and sport. Buster, you better start to move your feet to the rockin'est beat. Of madness! Yeah. Is that another Mark Stafford tune? I'm going to have to bring him in and pull him over for his music choices, actually. It's appalling. Anyway, 26 minutes away from one. Hi, Cliff. Cliff. Earthquake. Rugby Union. Yep. Yeah, good. Hey, the New Zealand Rugby Union, they are indecisive. They have made changes. Last year, they signed that big deal with that American firm, and they, they appointed Richie McCaw got involved. He was a, a big nominated fella that they brought in, and that was great. But I'm just wondering, what has he ever done? Is he Does he go and just handshake at occasional things? He was him and um, the, the chief executive, the previous chairman of the board, Mitchell, who suddenly decided he didn't want the job anymore to me. It, that seemed strange. He was, uh, he'd only been on the chairman of the job for the couple of years, and then suddenly he's, he's put forward to go on this, the, the, the joint board on the, uh, with McCaw and that, and then next minute he's, uh, he's not there. He's moved on, and Patsy Reddy's arrived. So 
to me, they, they cleaned out the old guard. And it looks like they don't really want too many rugby heads involved in the rugby union. They want a, a broad spectrum of, of everybody and everything. And, like, I looked at the board one day and I went through and I thought, yeah, yeah, there's lots of people. But, they, you know, like you say, they're never going to say anything about anything. They, they just wanted to clip the ticket and say that, oh, I was on the board at... Yeah. He's doing rugby yep. for five years, yep. And, yep. And, 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 and and the problem is when they all come from business backgrounds, it all just comes down to bottom line. You're basically run by a bunch of accountants, and that's the problem. It's and, and where's your and where's the big income pullable? It's the All Blacks. So let's just make it top heavy. I, I mean, you know, this whole Silver Lake deal. I agree. Look, so let's get Richie McCaw involved. Okay, he played 149 tests for the All Blacks, but what background does he have in finance? What background does he actually have in this area? And that is actually where I'd rather have some of these business people as involved in that side of it, making sure that, you know, we protect that, we leverage it, we invest it smartly, that we don't spend it too quickly. But, oh, no, well, let's get Richie McCaw involved. I mean, it'd be a little bit like, well, Richie McCaw was a great All Black, so surely he'd become, a, you know, a great minister in government. And it's, it's a ridiculous mentality. Um, but, you know, well, it, again, it looks good on a PowerPoint presentation, doesn't it? I would have thought Richie McCall would have been better off coming on the board and possibly going ahead, maybe becoming the chairman one day down the track. But to me, they've just put him in there to sign up to say we've got him involved in this outside level, but but really not involved in any way. You know, he might go to the World Cup and he'll he'll shake hands with a few dignitaries and might make a wee speech, but that's about all that's really involved. But to me, yeah, I, I just... I just feel that there's a lot of people out there that could be running the rugby union or be involved, willing to stand up and say, this is what's going to happen. It's the same. I just cannot believe, though, like if I'm running rugby, the first thing I would be doing is going to Sky Television, your broadcast partner, and saying, stop broadcasting all schoolboy rugby. Because all televising of schoolboy rugby is done is made secondary school rugby the stepping stone to higher honours. And if you got rid of it off television and started broadcasting senior club rugby, I think you'd bring some vibrance and some health back to that. That would then follow through into your MPC, and that would then follow through to your super rugby. You've got to protect the tier below the All Blacks, and we're not doing that. Then we've got the coaching issue, which you know we know was basically nepotism. And then even Mark Robertson's appointment, I would argue, in my opinion, was nepotism. And so the whole thing is just a shame. Meanwhile, you've got sports like basketball that are just growing in their droves. Thousands of kids now playing basketball. Satellite television has brought a whole lot of different sports into our living room. We're achieving things at Olympic Games across so many sports now that are inspiring kids to move away from rugby. And here's New Zealand rugby still sitting there, still as arrogant as ever, still telling guys like myself that I'm the one that doesn't get it. Yeah. It's just about the the girls' game at the moment. The boys just gotta yeah. Well, good luck. Just gotta yeah. hang around and wait until yeah, well, something something happens in the future. Yeah. Well, good luck with that one because that's not financially going to pay for itself. That is one of those things that again by a group of predominantly women journalists have inflated the significance of it. Have inflated the growth of it, but women's rugby is still going to struggle to pay for itself. Let's have a look at Alpaki Super Rugby and how well it goes. I wonder how many of those journalists that were overinflating its economy last year are actually going to turn up to some of these games and watch it. But again, they have to be seen to do the right thing because once again, it's all about virtue signalling, all about box ticking in this woke environment.
21 minutes away from one. It's detrimental to the game. I don't care whether your entire board's women. I don't care whether your entire board are Chinese, Indian, are of Muslim or Christian faith. All I want is the best damn people who understand the essence of this product and understand their customer base running the damn game. 0800 150 is the number. Sixteen minutes away from one, let the wild rose do all the heavy lifting this Valentine's Day. Head to the SENZ win page to go into the draw to win one of four gift boxes for Valentine's Day. It's your last chance to win today, so head to the win page at sen.com.au. The Wild Rose Valentine's Day Rose and Flower Delivery. That's www.thewildrose.co.nz. Some really good texts that have come in, uh, which I will get to. Manaya, is there a love interest? Are we celebrating Valentine's Day? Yep. Uh, me and my partner, every year we go, we take uh, KFC down to the beach for oh, Valentine's you Day. hopeless romantic you. You <laughs> hopeless romantic you. We used to just sort of sit in the car, like overlooking a beach somewhere. I don't need just... to hear anymore. Just have, have some KFC. Just so. have some KFC. <laughs> eh? Just have some KFC. Yeah, I can imagine that's all you had just for some KFC. Anyway, we'll leave it at that, Valentine's Day. Um, as I tell my wife, every day's Valentine's Day. Uh, right. Some texts that have come in. Um, someone saying, hey, Watto, how's this? I heard from a source, and they've listed the source, but I won't read it out because you don't do that, uh, that Scott Robertson was offered the Scotland job after the World Cup where I see Gregor Townsend has applied for the French role. He's not taking that, and that Robbie Deans has got him a head coaching job in Japan for big money, which again, he didn't say whether or not he's taken. I feel the Buller comment is just uh, just a... Anyway, it doesn't quite make sense, the last sentence. But yeah, there's a lot of innuendo. See, this is the problem though, isn't it? Everyone's sitting here second-guessing now what Scott Robertson meant. You listen to his interview. As far as I'm concerned, he basically said, I've got the job, I just need to sign the contract. Is that what you took out of it, Manaya, without that's trying to complicate it, without trying to read between the lines? 100%. I mean, that, that's it, isn't it? There's a simple honesty about Scott Robertson. And I, Do you think that part of that is him trying to actually uh, force the issue with them as well? You know, by coming out and saying to the media, I know that something's happening. Do you think he's trying to put a bit of pressure on them to rush it through? Well, I'm not sure that would... Be in his best interest, would it? We know how volatile New Zealand rugby are and how easy it is to get offside. You've only got to go back and have a look at Dave Rennie. You've only got to go back. And who was the Wellington's coach from a few years back that shot off overseas, won a Super Rugby title um, with the with the Hurricanes? Um, oh, I'll think of it in a moment, just having a mental block. And, yeah, anyway. I think the, the back part of that comment as well about Razor was uh, the Buller comment was just to throw everyone off the scent. So I think mm. this person's saying that uh, he he greeted the media with Buller to try and, you know, mm. as a bit of a red herring. Chris Boyd is who I was thinking of for the Hurricanes. Chris Boyd, another one that we didn't really appreciate the whole Hanson era and pretty much because of that was, you'd almost say, was ostracised. Uh, another text, hey Wado, why isn't there a fan representative on the rugby board? Makes sense, so they could get a fan perspective. Well, you'd like to think that the board people actually are, are representative of the people. I'm surprised that the unions that put some of these elected board members up don't take a stronger stance and force them to deliver their message. But then I also hear that a lot of 
people that sit on the board within the unions are really keen to become part of the New Zealand Rugby Board and they don't want to upset, upset anybody either. Someone's saying, Watto, I feel sorry for your day. It started relaxed. And now New Zealand rugby has just wound you up like a clock. Love your passion. That comes from Sean. Oh, they haven't really wound me up. They haven't really wound me up. They're not living rent-free inside my head, Sean, but I appreciate the text. Thank you. I want to address this one too, just as going completely on a different tangent. And we're going to talk about this after one o'clock with uh, three-time winner, Gordon Walker. We're going to talk the coast-to-coast. But what someone's saying, Watto, does training... Does more training go into the coast-to-coast or an Ironman? Uh, Look, I mean, I think to complete either successfully, you've got to dedicate a lot of time to both. I think the coast-to-coast tends to be more of a South Island-based race. Very hard to replicate the river conditions up here in Auckland, up in the upper part of the North Island. And so it probably doesn't attract as many quality athletes to it as perhaps Ironman does. Um, But both require a huge amount of time. And both incredibly selfish. And if you are thinking about doing the coast to coast, you're thinking about doing an Ironman, I'm going to give you one piece of advice. You know when you're overtraining when you meet more than three bastards in a day. What that means is that you're always grumpy. You don't have a lot of tolerance for people. So you start abusing them because you're short-tempered. That is a sign you're overtraining. Anyway, lines are still open, 0800 150 We have sort of had a bit of a chat about the board of New Zealand rugby. Uh, you know, all great CVs, but appear to be completely and utterly useless. Don't want to upset anybody. I mean, you, seriously, you go through it and it's just a box-sticking exercise. I, I hate to say it, but you've got, you know, a, a broad spectrum of, ethnic representation, you've got a fairly even mix of men and women and I think that's part of the problem, is there too much emphasis placed on that now rather than just getting the right people in place I'm all for equal opportunity but I'm not a big believer in equal outcome Nine and a half minutes away from one 0800 150811 we haven't had a lot of clear lines today so there is some clear lines now if you do want to phone the program I'll always say this talk back is a better experience when you jump on the phone loveracing.nz your home of thoroughbred racing the Grand Tour Racing Festival is coming to you uh, coming up after one o'clock, we'll catch up with three times Spates Coast to Coast winner these days. It's the Katmandu Coast to Coast, Gordon Walker. Gordon's gone on and had a successful coaching career. Coaching, sorry, just having a look at the TV. Um, coaching Lisa Carrington to five Olympic Games gold medals. We'll find out what it takes to win that race. The longest day starts tomorrow. The two-day race is already underway. We'll also catch up with Rushley Buchanan, four-time New Zealand road cycling champion. New Zealand's road cycling nationals take place in Tokoroa on Sunday. Time trial is set to go this afternoon as well. We will also talk to Dan Cherney. Now Dan is a journalist out of Code Sports in Australia. Get his thoughts on allegations of ball tampering from the Indians as they rip through Australia on day one of the first test. Australia all out for 177 top scorers. Marcus um, 
Lubbershane, 49. Steve Smith for 37. Alex Carey, 36. Peter Henscombe throwing in 31, but a pretty ugly-looking scorecard. In reply, India are 77 for one. Sharma is there on 56. Rahul is there on uh, in fact, Rahul was the batsman out on 20 and Ashwin has just come to the crease. But the big talking point has been Ravindra Jadija, 22 overs, 8 maidens, 5 for 47. I mean, the ball was turning. Uh, interesting that ESPN Crick Info have nothing on this. Uh, Manaya was saying earlier that ESPN Crick Over is actually owned by Indians. Uh, so any real surprise there? I've said it myself, having travelled to India a few times, it is a country that is built on corruption. That's just the way society runs. It's almost the more corrupt you are, the more respected you are. Um, it, I always look at the Indian Premier League and I just look at that and think, nah, this is just money laundering. There is just nothing legitimate about it. Just an update on Crick Info. They do now have a story on there. The story reads, Indian team says Jadeja used pain relief cream on finger. Of course he did, and has he ever used it previously? I've never seen it. No. What an absolute load. What a, co- what a coincidence. Yeah, what a coincidence. <laughs> Absolutely. So why didn't the doctor come on? Why didn't he administer it? Show us what the cream is, have it there on the spot, and be a little bit more transparent with it. It's got to be something that grips the surface. It's not Spinning's not about having a shiny ball. It's something more about gripping. I mean, the spinners come on after the shines come off the new ball. What are they using? Why are they doing it? And it's not like the player that was applying it had it in a tube. He had it on his hands himself. So what? You're administering pain relief ointment through a handshake? Really? And and how does the back of that bloke's hand feel as well? He's just carted this pain relief cream all around the field on the back of his hand. If it is pain relief cream... That's if you've got uh, anybody who's used uh, deep heat has known the pain of accidentally putting it in the wrong spot. You're telling me this bloke's getting around with it on the back of his hand? Yeah, rubbing your eyes. Seems suspicious, doesn't it? Oh, it does. But the irony in all of this, and maybe why people don't have any sympathy, is it's Australia. And isn't that ironic? But why it needs to be investigated, why it needs to be looked at, is actually for the integrity of the game as a whole. Yes, let's laugh at the Australians because it is hypocritical of them. And we can say, who cares? It's called karma, you get what you deserve. But for the greater good of the game, and just to make sure we keep India and Indian cricket in check, who basically pay for the game, we still need to make sure they are held to account. Three and a half minutes after one, you're listening to SENZ. Willie, we saw you phone through. Try and phone back through to the programme now, Big Guy. The lines are open, 0800 150 I do like this text that's come in just regarding this ball tampering issue, whether it be cream for medicinal reasons or not. Hi, team. Regardless of what it is, surely it's illegal, similar to not being allowed to wear strapping tape or Band-Aids on your bowling hand. The reality is, and he's right, whether this is just an ointment for sore fingers, he still then is clearly rubbing the ball with it which is therefore putting something on the surface of the ball, which is illegal in the game of cricket. Uh, Mark, Aussies crying over India, ball tampering. How sad, who cares? Ask Warner and Smith what they think. Cheers, Brian. Let's go to the phones. Hi, Richie. Hey, mate, how are you? Good, thank you. Hey, um, so yeah, on the ball tampering, I think uh, yeah, like if you're caught during the play, yeah, you're 
you've got to come off the field. Um, you know, if, if the third umpire or third official sees it and questions it, questions like they do in uh, baseball, you know, they have to go and have a look at what's on the pitcher's hands um, and gloves. You know, why can't we do that in, in Test cricket? But also on Test cricket is the New Zealand and England Test series not part of the um, big big Test championship? I is think there no it, points available for that. No, I think points are available for it. As I know, I had a feeling all Test series, um, home and away, uh, in that window are part of the overall mix. I mean, at the moment, it's I think Australia top of the table, India a second, aren't they? And there's six teams that still potentially have a chance of making the World Test final. Other and New Zealand's not one of them, though. Yeah, look, because I've I've got this app called Tribe, and um, I don't know if you know about it, but you can download all your favourite sports teams or tests and, mm. and series, and it gives you updates. And I was just having a look at that, and um, it's, it's not coming up in that, so um, under the Test Championship. Oh, look, we'll, we'll check it out for you. I, I just assumed it was, so I can't give you a definitive answer because you seem to, so, you know, there might be some evidence to suggest that it's not, but my understanding is it is. Um, it's always a home, yeah. home and away over that period, and and part of the reason is that, that these games actually have a little bit more meaning and there's a little bit more jeopardy. Yeah, and that's more, that was my thought is that it was part of it, and um, you know, but if if it's not, then do you know do we risk it and and try and bring in some of these this younger talent? You know, should we have looked at it back then and brought in some younger talent and and risk our hand and let, let these guys play play a bit riskier in the test. Well, yeah, I, I think the problem is we've had so little test cricket here already that they probably want to put a good show on. They probably want to create a bit of sense of nationalism. I mean, with Basball, with Brendan McCullum, with the way England are playing, there is a real opportunity to beat England here and make a statement. And I think this series, because of the hype around Stokes, the hype around McCullum, the way they've changed the game, I think this is one series where if New Zealand can beat England at home, I think it'll resonate a lot more than perhaps previous series involving England here in New Zealand. Oh, totally. Um, but yeah, no, I just yeah, I just thought it was interesting that it doesn't look like it is part of the the Test Championship. That's, but yeah, um, that's why I thought I'd give you a bell and and see if you've got any more info. Well, we'll we'll find that out for you, Richie. But thank you. Appreciate your call out of the Kapiti Coast. Uh, just on what Richie's point was, though, that look, you know, if this is an ointment, you go to the you go you surely go to the umpires. A doctor comes on the field and the, he says to the umpires, "Hey, we've got to address this guy's fingers." You see a cloth come out afterwards, you know, and it's it's. You watch this, and there is no formality in the addressing of the sore fingers. The ointment's not coming from a tube. It's coming from another player's hands. It's a handshake. It's not like he's sitting there and applying it and then carefully applying it on his fingers, is he? And if that was the case, you would have seen it before. Like, that would be something that happens quite regularly, wouldn't it? It's not something I've seen before. Um just someone coming out with a random substance on the back of their hand? Well, it's like people who fail drug tests and say that the particular drug they found in the system, their body manufacturers naturally, and the drug I'm talking about is a drug called EPO, which is a blood booster, and you're like, okay, so if I was to test you right here, right now, you'd fail again? Yeah. And you go, and what about in 10 years' time when you're out of the sport and I just randomly come and test you, you're going to fail again? Yeah, I think not. I think not. Anyway, it is eight minutes after one. You're listening to SENZ. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we are going to talk the Katmandu coast to coast because the two-day is underway and the longest day starts tomorrow. What does it take to win it? What will those athletes be feeling today? Well, one man who will know all about it is a three-time winner. His name is Gordon Walker. He's up next.